Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. I was raised a Jehovah's Witness. Kind of pushed me away from from religion and pushed me to claim agnostic. About ten years ago, we adopted two little girls that were a part of our extended family. But in the 10 years since we adopted the children, uh, our life has been filled with conflict, anger, drama. Ahorita lo más difícil que me ha pasado es lo de mi esposo de uh, septiembre, 6 de septiembre ya va a ser tres meses que migración fue a, a la casa era las 7 de la mañana es algo muy duro para mí para mis hijos y entré como en en depresión I um, grew up in a family that I say is like a holiday church attender and then I met Justin and years passed and we continued down that you know road of just attending not really um, participating so in with that happening and life happening to us um, we hit kind of a rocky road in our in our life in our marriage in the summer of 1988 uh, I was involved in a car wreck and my mom and my brother passed away in that wreck and that was the summer before my junior year in high school this is my It, it challenges your view of God. Is God really a good God? The answer is yes. I can't even explain to you, honestly. I just, I mean, I'm going to get teary. I, I, can't, I can't explain to you when I walked in the doors. Just my heart opened up, and I had people telling me, welcome home. And right then, I confessed my sins, uh, admitted my need uh, for Jesus to be my Savior. And from that moment on, I have never had a single doubt of my salvation. Eh, Dios, algo bueno va a venir de esto, de todo esto, y así lo cree mi esposo y, y lo creo yo. The most amazing thing that I've probably learned about God is that He's always there. And the love of a church family, and the accountability of church family, I mean, it's just amazing. It's amazing. No matter what happens, God does have a plan for me. God does have a purpose for me. And I may not understand it, I may not see it, but that doesn't make it any less real. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day Good morning. We're excited to get started in a new series this morning called Stories. Uh, this is just a little teaser to give you a little taste of some of the stories that are coming in the next several weeks. Um, but for the next 10 weeks or so, we're going to study uh, the Word of God. And we're going to look at some specific stories in Scripture because I believe that God wants to show us who He is through those stories. He wants to show us uh, who we can be even through the lives of some of the people that we're going to study and some decisions that we can make. Hopefully that will honor Him uh, in, in our stories as well as the stories that we're learning about. This morning I want to introduce you to a very dear friend of mine, Tawan Downs. Tawan, come on up. Give Tawan a hand. I love this man. I love this man so much. He is, uh, if you know Tawan very much at all, he's a, he's a pretty big fella. Um, yeah. The only thing bigger is his heart. If you know this man, you know that his heart is huge. He, I just love him with all of my heart. We can see him worshiping. He's leading us in worship down here. He's doing such a wonderful job with the ministry God has given him in his apartment complex, uh, which is down uh, Baseline Roadways, and God is doing special things through him. I just wanted to introduce him to you. Part of what we're doing in this series is helping you know who our people are and getting a little bit of a background on who they are and what they've been through and kind of what they've done. And so I just wanted to have, bring Tawan up and ask him a couple of questions and him just grab that mic right there, bro. 
but I just him just kind of tell you a little bit of who he is and for you to know him just a little bit better. So to one, number one, just kind of tell us, man, how you came to know the Lord. Would you tell us that? Okay, there we go. All right, so uh, it's actually a funny story. So I was in middle school, getting ready to go off now to high school, and I was walking past this church, and the pastor just at the same time just happened to be coming in. We crossed paths. Uh, his name is uh, Pastor Biles. Uh, he is the pastor at my church home back home in Detroit, Michigan, a church of our fathers on 7th Mile, in which uh, he came to me. He was like, uh, hey, I'd love to invite you to church. And I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, sure, yeah. And then he was like, uh, you know, this is our Easter service now. We're going to have food. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I was like probably 50 more pounds of this, so I was, I was happy for the food. And he was like, yeah, we're going to, uh, we're giving out candy. And so I'm like, oh, okay, I'll definitely be there. <laughs> in which uh, I was there that Sunday morning. Uh, in the front row, they have a clue what he was talking about now, but I mean, I was there. And one thing that was very big to me was big on his word. I got my candy. And so I was very happy. And the first, I never forget the first thing that went through my head was, if I come back next week, I might get more candy. <laughs> so I kept on coming um, and, and continue on just um, growing. I came across a gentleman who a lot of you all know, very big in my life. Uh, his name is Deacon Charles Harper. Uh, he was my, my mentor in which uh, he, he played a huge factor in my life. Uh, my mom, she was a single mom, I could tell you how great she was and how she raised me into the young man that I am today. Mm. But uh, he, he also played a huge factor because I was always looking for that male mentor in which uh, he took the time to get to know me, which was very big. Mm -hmm. uh, he took the time to love on me and continue on helping me grow, not just in the community, but with the Lord too. Yes. In which throughout that time now, I was also baptized. Amen. So it happens in a lot of our lives. We get to know the Lord, and then life begins to happen, right? And so then we start, you know, some, for me, it was, you know, do I just go to church or do I actually walk in the Lord? Do I live his way? Do I, do I represent him and how I live? And sometimes it takes a while to get from salvation to surrender of our lives. You know what I mean? It happened in my life that way. I think it maybe have happened a little bit in your life that way. What was kind of the defining moment for you to where God got a hold of your heart and said, man, you need to live for me? It was, uh, and this is a huge part of my testimony. This is a good meat of it. Um, it was when I went to college. Um, I kind of had that mindset that I'm a grown-up. So I, I pushed, no, I'm not going to say pushed now, but I wasn't in communication with uh, Deacon Harper that much, in which, I mean, I was a grown-up, and it was a, a big it was, it was something very big that happened at that time, in which, I mean, I would love to tell you the whole story, um, but I gotta chop it down. But if you're more than welcome, you're more than welcome to ask me. Um, so one time in college, I had, um, there was a young man that owed me $5. That's it. And I knocked on his door, and I was like, this weeks went on. I was like, hey man, where's my money? And um, we got into a scruffle, we got into a fight. Um, I slammed him on the ground, and from there, something very serious happened. Um, the Lord hit me from there. Uh, I got up off him. I ran out of his room. I was very educated, and so I knew where all the cameras was at. Made it back to my room, and he just kept reminding me, he kept putting it in my head, rewinding in my head, was his life worth five dollars? And to, to, to give you a little summary of what, what happened was I tried to dig that man's eyes out, over $5. So ever since then, I've really been trying to better myself. Um, I reached out to Deacon Harper again, in which he continued on working with me. Um, and then I moved on to Minnesota. I came across another gentleman that was very key to me. Uh, his name was Bill Roos. Uh, he also invested his time in me, loved on me, uh, continued on building me up. Then I came into Arkansas in which everybody knows who's my mentor here in Little Rock, Tim. So it's just so much of uh, those guys investing in me and loving on me um, and just keep on pushing me now to continue on serving the Lord and learning more. That's awesome. Well, I just wanted you to get to know Tawan a little bit. Obviously, he has an amazing heart, an amazing story, and I'm thankful, like you are for your own life, that when God saves us, he's not finished with us, right? 
He continues to move and change us into who he wants us to be. And, and Tuan, we love you. We're so excited for what God is doing in you. And we're going to continue to pray for your ministry in the apartments. Thank you for all that you're doing and, and what you're doing here. We love you, brother. Give him a hand, would you? Tuan is uh, 26 years old, and um, I think he's a prince of a young man. I love him very much, and God is doing amazing things in him. But I really want us to focus on another 26-year-old this morning. He uh, happens to be the 15th king of Judah. Uh, It's a story we find in the Old Testament. Uh, His name is Josiah. We're familiar with great kings in the Bible, King David, King Solomon, and others. And you may not be as familiar with King Josiah. But he's a pretty amazing guy, and a lot of things happen early on in his life. And I want to kind of bring us our attention to that story this morning, if we can. Uh, his story will be found in 2 Kings 22 through 23, as well as 2 Chronicles 34 and 35. But before we read our text this morning, I want to kind of give you some context into what's going on in Jerusalem, okay? So in Jerusalem and Judah, uh, this is a torn down, wicked, evil environment. For all the sci-fi fans out there, just imagine a post-apocalyptic scene. You know, this, is, this place is a mess. It is a mess. There are uh, idols for worship all over the place, section religion shrines all over the place. This is a, a, a broken down place. The temple itself was broken down in dilapidated building. Uh, God was um, sort of pushed out of these places. This is sort of the scene that we come into. Um, I want to give you a little context on the history of of Israel at this point. So Josiah, before he's made king, his grandfather was King Manasseh. Uh, Manasseh ruled Judah for 55 years. He was an evil man. He replaced God's word and God's worship with idol worship. In fact, he even sacrificed many of his own children to Satan. The Bible says that blood ran from the, the, the north end of town of Jerusalem to the southern end of town because of the murder that he caused. This is not a good man, and he ruled for 55 years. His father was a man by the name of Amnon. He was not a good person either. He only ruled for two years before the servants in his kingdom murdered him. And then we get to Josiah. And Josiah is uh, an eight-year-old little boy when he's made king. Now, I've got an eight-year-old little girl, and I've tried to ask myself, what in the world would a kingdom be like if Jovi was the queen, you know? It's hard to say, but I think it would just be full of slime and chicken nuggets, pretty much would cover the whole kingdom. But I can't, you can't imagine what a kingdom would be like, right, for an eight-year-old to run it, and yet that is sort of what we see happen. So at this time, I want you to understand that King Solomon was, was king hundreds of years before Josiah. And right after King Solomon died, the country, the, the, the tribes, um, they began to, to worship things other than God. And a great fracturing kind of happened in Israel. And 10 of those tribes formed the northern kingdom of Israel. And those other two formed Judah, the southern kingdom. Well, the thing is, is that they begin, the northern kingdom, well, both of them, but the northern kingdom especially begin to worship other gods and go in the direction away from God. Well, so he sends his judgment on the northern kingdom in the form of the Assyrian army. And the Assyrian army comes in and wipes out the northern kingdom. And for anybody who is left, they're taken back into exile. And you would sort of think that anybody in the southern kingdom would have taken notice of what's going on in the northern kingdom, right? Oh my goodness, uh, this is what's happening when you don't follow God. So let us, let us repent. Let us come to God. Let us seek him again the way our people had in, in our history. That's not what they did, though. They continued to rebel against God. They continued to deny who they were and who he was. And so that's sort of the scene that we come into. There's prophets in our, in our scripture that were contemporaries of this time that were giving warnings to the people of Judah. Prophets like Micah and Zephaniah and Jeremiah and Habakkuk, they all warned Judah, please repent so that God doesn't bring the judgment on you that he's bringing. He's bringing judgment. Please repent. Change your ways. Judah did not listen. And this is kind of the context of where our story begins with this young king, Josiah. Josiah, eight years old, like I said before. He's a, he's a mess. <laughs> his country is a mess. His family is a mess. 
Let's start our story in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verses 1 through 3, can we? Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He walked in the ways of David, his father, and he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram and the carved and metal images. Now, this story is found, like I said, in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles over four different chapters. And I'd love for you to go back and take a look at that and get the whole taste of the whole story. But we're just going to kind of drop in at different points of the, of the text so we can see sort of the, the major points this morning. What's incredible is an eight-year-old boy is made king. What's an eight-year-old boy going to do? How can he bring real substantive change to this place that is in such a mess? And yet God uses his life to bring about one of the greatest revivals in the history of Israel. This morning it's going to be a very simple message. On the back of your card is, is a, a list of nine things. Nine lessons that we can learn from Josiah's life. And I want us just to kind of run through these quickly. Here's the first one. Number one, your family tree does not matter. Your family, uh, family of origin, where you've come from, who you've come from, it doesn't matter when it comes to serving God. Maybe you've come from a family that, that has denied Christ. They don't go to church, they're, they're atheist, or they're a, a different religion or a different faith, and, and they think you're silly for believing in God, whatever. Maybe your family is evil. Maybe you come from a, a family that has done evil and bad things, and we all have them in all of our families because we're broken people. But regardless of what I want you to see, number one in this story, is it doesn't matter about your family tree. It doesn't matter about your family of origin. God can use your life regardless of where you've come from or the people that you've come from. I love this, this example in verse 2. It says that Josiah makes a choice to serve and follow the God of his father, David. Now, was David his father? I just said his father is Amnon, right? His father's not David. But what he does is he says, I need a better example for life. I need a better example for leadership. I'm going to choose a better example. He chooses David. And we know David was a man after God's own heart. What a great leader. He could look back in the history of Jerusalem, the history of Israel, and say, this is our greatest leader we've ever had. I want to follow him. He served the Lord. That's who I want to follow. That's exactly what he did. He follows David. Now, for us who know Christ, we know Jesus is better than David, right? And so we don't compare ourselves with other people. We just look to Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. That's who we need to compare ourselves with and who we need to follow, who we seek. But listen, if you have somebody in your family that, that you, you can't really look to, you might say, well, listen, I, this may be an excuse for you. I don't really follow Christ because my parents didn't. It's not been a big deal for our family. That's not a good excuse. It doesn't work. Well, I just, you know, we don't really believe that. No, it, it's not about what we believe. It's about what you believe. What do you believe? Don't let what's happened in your family determine who you are and who you become and what you believe. Doesn't matter about your family of origin. You can believe in Christ and he can use your life. Here's the second thing. He made up his mind about, what he, uh, about who he was going to be. Josiah made up his mind about who he, who he was going to be. He didn't turn for, uh, aside from the right hand or to the left, it says in the context there in, in the scripture. What does that mean? It means he was so committed to the straight and narrow. He was so committed to who he wanted to be in, in, in God that he, he knew he couldn't waver. I mean, just think of his history. Just think of the, the, guy, the men that had come before him. How easy it would be just to live your own life, do your own thing. He was king. He could have whatever he wanted. But he chose to commit his heart and his life to be exactly who God wanted him to be, not to go from left to right. I was reminded of this scripture that Solomon wrote in Proverbs 4.25. He says, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Listen, Josiah was committed. He knew before he got into the, the, the situations he was in, as he's growing up, as he's becoming to trust the Lord, he knew who he wanted to be. He made up his mind. You know that's what we have to do? Before you leave here and go back to your addiction, before you leave here and you go back to your issue with pornography, 
before you leave here and go back to a difficult situation in your family, you can say right here and right now, God, this is who I want to be. I want to be yours. I want to serve you with all that I am and all that I have. I want to commit my life to you. I don't want to turn to the left or to the right. I want to be yours. Would you help me be yours? Make a decision now because trust me, if you make a decision later, it probably won't be a good decision. Is that right? Is that true? Have you noticed that? That's what I've noticed in my life. If I don't already have my mind made up, if I'm not already committed to who God wants me to be, then this world and the temptation that is out there waiting on us will pull us into who it wants us to be. Number three, he didn't let his young age keep him from serving God and leading with strength. Hey, if you're under 16 years old today, would you just raise your hand? Anybody in here under 16? Yes, Hayden. Yes, yes. All right, so we got a few folks in here under 16. We got a lot more under 16 folks over there in the, other, in the uh, other building over there. I'm just reminded of what Paul told Timothy, right? Don't let people look down on you because you're young. God has a plan for your life. It doesn't matter about your age. It doesn't matter. Let God use you right where you are, no matter what age you are. He was eight years old when he became king. Can you imagine? I mean, it would just be kind of like, just give me all the peanut butter jelly sandwiches I can eat. You know, that would be the main thing on the agenda. But God had a plan for his life. And if you look even a little deeper in the text, it's interesting. It mentions his mother in the text, which a lot of these stories of these kings don't really mention their mother. So it doesn't say it in the text, but I believe his mother possibly loved God and maybe steered this eight-year-old in the way of the Lord. Thank God for godly mothers. Amen? So he becomes 16. The text says that he begins to seek after the God of his father, David. So at 16 years old, he starts getting serious about his relationship with God. 16. God, this is who I want to be and what I want to be for you. This is what I want to do for you. I want to serve you the way David served you. He's a better example than I've ever had. That's who I'm going to follow. He turns 20. The Bible says, and he he begins to make change all around him. He begins to clean up the mess. He begins to clean up the mess. And by the way, can I just say this? If you're growing in your faith and relationship with God, the first thing you need to do is begin to clean up the mess. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the things that you believe that are not godly things. I'm talking about the habits that you have that don't honor Christ. Maybe it's a mess in your family. I have no idea, but what are the things that are messy around you? It literally could be your home. It could be the dishes in the sink. I don't know. It could be other things, spiritual things, internal things. But as we grow in Christ, the number one thing we need to begin to do as we get to know him more is clean house. Let's clean up. That's exactly what we see Josiah beginning to do. He starts cleaning the land, Scripture says, and the house, speaking of the temple. Now, what's interesting, this this turns into a scene from a Nicolas Cage movie, which is awesome to me. He's cleaning up, and as he's cleaning the land, he begins to clean the temple. And he's sending his, his people, a priest, his secretary, all these people to begin to clean the temple. Well, the temple had been uh, disheveled for 250 years. Just think about that. If a building has been untouched and uncared for for 250 years, you think, what kind of shape do you think it's in? Bad shape. Bad shape. So they begin to clean it up, and the priests begin to go into the building. The priest hadn't even been into the building. And as the priests begin to go into the building, they find something in the building. They find a treasure in the building. They find a scroll of the word of God. And most commentators believe this is the scroll of Deuteronomy. They call it in the text the book of the covenant. Here's here's the point I want us to see. They wouldn't have found the scroll unless they began to clean up. And God has a treasure for your life to know him more, to serve him more, to love him more. But you got to start to clean up first. It's like he's waiting on you to get some things settled. And straightened up before he can show you what's next in your relationship with him. It's exactly what happened with Josiah. It's the same exact thing. What treasure is waiting on you as you begin to clean up your life? Do you wonder? What is God going to show you as you begin to clean up? Have you ever known anybody who, they they ask these questions, why did I ever hear from God? Why can't I ever hear from God? It just feels like he's silent all the time. Maybe, just maybe. He's waiting on you to clean up your life. 
Maybe he's waiting on you to straighten up the bad habits and the bad things that you've just allowed to be around because that's all Israel did. Well, we'll just allow these, these, these idols in our homes and in our town and all around and we'll just allow one more, we'll allow one more until it came to this place where the whole city was, was littered with, with demonic, satanic idols and images even in the temple and in everyone's home. Listen, you know, look, look right here for a second. You know you're serious about following Christ. You know it beyond the shadow of a doubt. <laughs> when, your walk, when your talk becomes walk, right? When it's more than just what you say, it's how you live. You know that you're getting serious about honoring Christ when your words actually become work. Your, your, your talk becomes walk, your words become work, and your seeking actually is accompanied by some cleaning. I want you to sit in that for a minute because many of us need to say, Lord, what's in my life? What's on my computer? What's on my television? What's in my mind? What's in my heart? What am I allowing my children to see? What's going on in me that I need to clean up and clean out so that I can find the treasure of who you are? and what you'd have me to do next in my life. Look what happens when they find this treasured scroll. Second Chronicles 34, 18. Then Shapen, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shapen read from it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes, and the second king's passage says, and he wept. He hears his secretary reading from the book of Deuteronomy and he tears his clothes and he begins to weep. Why, why did he tear his clothes? Well, in, in, in the ancient world, if, if somebody came up against some, something that broke their heart, something that was so devastatingly uh, uh, sad, sorrowful, or repentant, they would want to show you physically what their heart is feeling internally. Does that make sense? Their heart is broken and so they rent their clothes they rip their clothes, and so when you see them disheveled and their clothes ripped, you know, man, they're going through it. Something is broken internally in their hearts. This was an authentic response to the word of God. This is the fourth thing on your card. Josiah responds to the word of God with repentance. This is his response to the word of God. By the way, anytime we respond to God, you know what that is? It's worship. When we respond to God, whether it be singing whether it be his word, whether it be some kind of inclination, he's pushing you to do something, and we go, yes, God, I'll do that. Yes, God, I'll, if that's what you, yes, Lord, I'll, I'll give here. When we obey, when we respond, that is worship. And what Josiah does is he responds to God with repentance, genuine, sorrowful repentance. How do you respond to the truth of the word of God? I asked myself this question this week. Seriously, I, I sat in this for a, for a while and I just said, Drew, when is the last time you wept over your sin? When is the last time that you considered the brokenness of your life, of your heart, the little things that you've allowed in, the little thoughts, the little things? When's the last time that you poured your heart out before God, a holy God who detests our sin? And we say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. When's the last time we responded to God over our sin with tears? We recognize that God is holy and we so desperately need his forgiveness that we weep. You want change to happen in your heart? You want change to happen in your family? You really want change to happen in our country. It's not going to be elections. It's going to be us broken over our sin, saying, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Forgive me. Oh, that we would see our sin the way the Lord does and be broken by it. Do you notice Josiah doesn't reason away the book? See this? He doesn't just go, hey, listen, that's an old book. That's for people a long time ago. We don't, that doesn't apply to us today. Do you hear that around very much? I hear it all the time. I see friends on Facebook 
They're saying, listen, God's word, it just doesn't apply. It doesn't, it's not relevant anymore. That's not what Josiah did. Josiah listened to it genuinely. He took it in his heart and he tore his clothes and he wept over his sin and the sin of his people. This is a relevant word. This is God's word. Oh, that we would listen to it and be moved and respond to it with authenticity and repentance. Look at what happens here. Second Chronicles 34, 21. He sends his team to find out, is this, is this true? What we've just read. I mean, he's never read this. What we've just read, is this true? So he sends his team to a prophetess. And the prophetess, he, he says to his team in verse 21, go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. They haven't kept the word of the Lord. I haven't kept the word of the Lord. Our country, our people have not kept the word of the Lord. And guess what? Judgment is coming. Go find out if this is true. Well, she, she lets them know that it is true. Look what she says, Second Chronicles 34, 26. But to the king of Judah, she says, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants. You have humbled yourself before me and you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. She's saying, yeah, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Absolutely, it's coming. You're right. What you've read and what you're sensing in your soul and your heart, it's true. God is going to judge this place. But I want you to see this. This is number five. When we respond with repentance to God's word, he hears us. He hears us and he blesses us. When we respond to the truth of God's word with repentance, he hears us and he blesses us. Now let me explain how he blesses Josiah. He blesses him and he tells him, listen, you're going to die. Oh, thanks for the blessing, right? But he says, you're going to die in peace. You're not going to have to see all this judgment. So when you die, you're not going to see the judgment that I'm going to bring on these people. You don't have to see it. It just made me think of my kids. You know, sometimes when we discipline our kids, whether it be a little spanking or it be time out or or, uh, writing lines, whatever the case may be, you know, when we let them know they're about to get disciplined, they become the most loving children of all the planet, right? Oh, daddy. You know, they're hugging, they're loving on us. And you're like, yes, this is so precious. I love you so much. Thank you for saying you're sorry, but there's still consequences to what you did, right? You can't just work out of the consequences. This is exactly what's happening here. God is saying, Josiah, I hear your heart. I hear the brokenness in your voice. I, I, hear, I see the tears But there's consequences to what Manasseh has done and what the people have done. And I'm going to bring judgment on this people. Now, what's amazing about this is that if that that had been me, I might have gone, well, forget it then. Then Why why live for God? Why try to make change? If judgment's coming and you said I'm going to die, I might as well, right, eat and drink and and, because we all die tomorrow kind of a thing. That's not what Josiah does. Because remember what he did? He decided, I'm going to walk in the straight and narrow, not to the left or the right. My life is not about me. It's about God and his desire for me. He has a plan for my life, and he wants to use me, is what Josiah realized. And so even though he knows he's going to die, even though he knows God is going to bring judgment, he still chooses to lead and serve the Lord. Look at his leadership in 2 Chronicles 34. Such an amazing text. 3429, he says, Then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites, all the people, both great and small. I love that. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place, (laughs) stood in his place, And he made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commands and his testimonies and his statutes with all of his heart, with all of his soul, uh, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. Here's number six. Josiah uses his influence 
to lead others and to make a difference. He's going to use his influence as king to lead people. Even though judgment is coming, even though he's going to die, he says, I still have a people to lead. And that's exactly what he does. And I love this text where he says, he takes everyone up, great and small. Do you you see the heart of God in Josiah? He walks with everyone up. And you know what else is interesting? Josiah, king of Judah, could have had anyone read the word. The priest, but he doesn't, does he? He himself reads it. You know why? Because he believes it. It's real to his soul. He wants to be the one of the privilege to share it with his people. And so he reads that. And then what does it say he does? It says he himself makes a covenant with God. He himself makes a covenant with God. Let me just tell you this. If you're a leader of anything, if you lead a team at work, if you're a parent and you lead your children, even if you don't lead a team, you have influence over people. Can I promise you something, leaders? Listen, the people that you influence, that you lead, that you're around, will only go as far as you go. Have you noticed that? They will only work as hard as you work. They will only sacrifice as much as you sacrifice. As a pastor, I believe a church will only worship as much as its pastors will worship. They'll only serve as much as their pastors are willing to serve. Leadership means we have to lead. And when we lead, people will follow. That's what we see Josiah doing. He's leading with such integrity. He goes up. He stands. Do you notice what it says? Stands in his place. Men, are you standing in your place as fathers, godly fathers, serving God with all of your heart? with all of your soul, and with all of your might. Are you standing in your place? Are you reading the word? Are you making a covenant with God in his church saying, Lord, I want to serve you, I want to live for you. I'm going to lead whoever you've placed in my care or anyone watching. This is my covenant. And Josiah encourages the people to make a covenant, and they do. He leads them to obedience in God. Beautiful, beautiful. I want you to know the secret of this whole message today. The secret of Josiah's success as a king is this. It's very simple. Wholehearted commitment to God. Unwavering, wholehearted commitment to God. Look what he says at the end of that text, can he? He says he's going to make a covenant. He's going to walk after the Lord. He's going to keep his commands, his testimonies, his statutes. It says, with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and to perform. In other words, to live in such a way that the words, that he keeps the words of the covenant that are written in this book. He wants his life to be sincere, authentic, real. And I'm going to go first. Will you follow? Number seven, he continues to clean up the mess and continues the restoration. I think this is interesting too. So we knew that at age 20, he starts to clean up the land and, and the temple. And then we know that he gets, you know, gets to 26 and he uh, begins to clean up the temple significantly. They find this scroll. Later on in the text, we see he's still cleaning up. How many of you have known the Lord very long and you realize there's still some junk to clean up? Have you noticed? There's some baggage from the past. There's some things from our our families of origin. There's some decisions we made that consequences that are still. Have you noticed? When you live for Christ, number one thing you need to do is begin to clean up. I believe God wants that of your life. But guess what? Clean up is going to be something you have to continually do. I'm guilty of this in many ways. Sometimes I can either be really clean or really dirty. You know what I mean? Well, when I clean, I'm going to clean up, and it's going to be amazing, immaculate. Instead of just cleaning up continually as I walk and live, and, you know, sometimes I go back and forth. But that's exactly what this is about. Josiah sees the need that as as he continues to lead his people, that cleanup has to continue to happen. There's something interesting i got to tell you about this little text right here. It says there's something that Solomon had had put in place. It was idol worship, (laughs) Of other gods, Solomon had put some idol worship in place around the land. Solomon. Now, don't you think that as great a character, as interesting a character, as famous a character as Solomon was, that might have been hard to do away with something Solomon had placed? Do you see where I'm going with this? Josiah did not care. 
Was it against God? Then it's out. Did this dishonor God? Then it's out. I'm going to crush it. I'm going to burn it. I'm going to cut it to pieces. And that's what he does. But how many of us say, oh, that was my dad's thing. We always did this. Well, in my business, this is kind of how we've always done it. I hate to change it even though it's not really honest. Listen, if it dishonors God, cut it down, chop it up, and burn it up for the glory of God. Get rid of it. Josiah has no problem with saying, I don't care if Solomon put that up. You can remember Solomon all day long. I'm going to be the one to trust the Lord and do exactly what he's called me to do. It's interesting. It says in uh, 2 Kings 23, 24, that the reason he cleans up is to establish the word of God. That's the reason he cleans up. We'll read that in just a second, and I'll, I'll go into that a little bit more. But let's look at 2 Kings. 2 Kings 22, 23, I'm sorry. 2 Kings 23, verse uh, 21 says, And the king commanded all the people, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in this book of the covenant. For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel a long time. Or during all the days of the kings of Israel. Or of the kings of Judah. You get the sense this is a big deal? But listen, verse 23. In the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. Number eight, he restores Passover. Now we know what Passover is, right? Passover is, is when God delivered his people from Egypt. Passover is when the, the, uh, God's people put over their doorpost the blood of the lamb so that when the death angel came, that he passed over their home and, and preserved the children in the home, right? That's Passover. This is significant because Josiah is saying, we need to remember who we were when we were God's people and he led us out. And we need to remember today who we are, that we are God's people. This is so important. The Passover hadn't been done. So number one, he's being obedient. Deuteronomy 16 says, observe the Passover. So as he's reading this book, he goes, well, it says observe the Passover. Guess what I'm, guess what I'm about to do? We're about to have Passover. I love this guy. He's just straight ahead. It hadn't been done in, in ages. And Josiah says, this is who we were. Let's remember who we were. And let's put this in front of us as an ongoing habit, as a discipline before us so that we can remember who we are. Have you forgotten who you are? Have you forgotten that you're God's man? You're God's woman? Have you forgotten to put the story of Jesus in front of you? That he wants to be the ultimate Passover lamb in your life, in your heart? So that because of his blood covering your life, death can pass over and you can live abundant life in him. This is important that he reestablishes the Passover because it's about identity, church. Josiah knows I need to help my people remember who they are. Know our identity is in God and God alone, not in all this stuff we've created. Look at this next text here, 2 Kings 23-24. I'm sorry. Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums and the necromancers and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah, the priest, found in the house of the Lord. Listen, when you clean up you're making way so that the word of God can be established in your life. When we choose to not clean up, when we choose to just sort of live a certain way and eh, I'll just go on Sunday, it'll just be sort of a side thing that I do, God. How can the word of God be established in your life? That's what Josiah's doing. He's establishing the word of God with this cleanup. Verse 25, listen to what it says about this guy. Before him, it's a big statement. Before him, there was no king like him. David and Solomon came before Josiah. There was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and with all of his might. Does that sound like another word someone has given us? Remember what Jesus said? Remember what's written in Deuteronomy 6? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. It's exactly what Josiah was doing. 
He lived with all his heart, his soul, and all his might according to the law of Moses. Nor did any like him arise after him. That's a big statement. This is number nine, and we're going to close. Josiah left a legacy. There was none like him before him, none like him after him. And yet, do you know him? Have you heard of Josiah? Have you thought about him very much? What a beautiful example of someone who chose to, to seek and, and follow God with all of their heart and with all of their life. His life is a simple one. It's simple. What we take away from this this morning is, do we follow God with an unwavering, committed heart to trust his word and to follow it and obey it? It's that simple. He could have chosen any other way. He could have chosen any selfish desire, anything he wanted. The ways of his fathers, no. He chose the way of his father David, God's way. God's way. This morning, I want to close. And every week as we look at these stories, I want us to think about what can we learn, okay? We've learned the story of Josiah. What can we learn from Josiah's life that I can learn as a believer? And what can I learn about God with how God responded to Josiah, how God spoke to Josiah? Each week, we're going we're gonna to break this down. Well, from Josiah, we can learn this. Your age doesn't matter, right? Doesn't matter if you're young or old. Your, your family of origin doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've come from. What matters, listen, if you don't hear anything else, listen to this. What matters is how you respond to the truth of the word of God. Do you respond with repentance? Do you respond like it's something to be grasped, something to hold on to? And when you see it and when you hear it and when you feel it, does it break your heart that you're not living up to it? Because he tore his clothes and he wept. We learn from Josiah, wholehearted commitment. Do you weep over your sin? Do you take God's holiness seriously? Will your life be lived in a wholehearted, committed relationship to Jesus? Well, what do we learn about God? We learn that he can use anybody, any age, from any place, if they trust and obey him. We learn that he hears us when we respond with repentance. Listen, this morning, in just a few minutes, we're going to take the Lord's Supper and you may need to respond to this message. There may be something in your life that you haven't cleaned up. There may be some things hanging over some baggage from family. Or something somebody said that is always stuck in your tapes in your brain that says, you're this and you've never outlived it. And you've just lived under the curse of whatever that they said you were. Maybe you need to respond to the Lord this morning with repentance and tears. Maybe there's sin in your heart and sin in your life. And you need to say, God, would you forgive me? I see it the way you see it, and I don't want to live this way anymore. Would you forgive me? We learned that God will use us to lead other people to obedience. And there's no limit to what a little eight-year-old boy can do. There's no limit to what you can do if you just trust, obey wholeheartedly, his way, not my way. And then I'll close with this. In Matthew 1, Verse 11, it says that Josiah is in Jesus' lineage. You know the place in, in Matthew where it talks about the lineage of Jesus? Josiah is listed there. It's very interesting to me. Because what it's saying is, this is these are the people Jesus, in, in, in a humanly speaking way, who he's come from. But I want you to see that Jesus is a better Josiah. And this is the way I want to show you. See, Josiah came before the Lord with repentance. He came before the Lord with tears. And God said, I hear you, I see you, but I'm still bringing judgment. This is what he did with Jesus. Jesus brought people to the place where they could repent, see their sin, ask God for forgiveness. But then when it came to judgment, Jesus said, I'll take it. Josiah couldn't do that. Jo Josiah had to die to not see his people go through this anguish of judgment. But Jesus, he dies, and in his death, he takes the judgment on himself so that the people didn't have to be judged. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Do you know him? Have you made the decision to follow him and serve him and love him? Because you don't have to have that judgment. He can take it if you'll choose. You make the choice. This is a, a great story. 
And I hope that we can learn from Josiah's life and we can learn about God and how faithful he is when we're just serious. We're straight ahead. We trust him. We believe his word and we live like it. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank you for your kindness and your goodness. God, thank you for this story of Josiah's life. Lord, what an incredible testimony of faithfulness to you. What an incredible story of, of, of one child who becomes a young man, who becomes an older man, seeking you still, serving you still, not following his own way, but following your way. And Lord, you, you spoke to him and said, I've seen your broken heart. I've seen your tears. I've seen your repentance, and I will bless you. And God, I pray that today, anyone who's seeking you this morning, as they begin to clean up their own lives, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts even now and say, I see the, the struggle in your soul, and I want to bless you. Just trust me. Just follow me. Just believe what I have told you to be true in my word and respond with repentance. Lord God, as we take this communion, may it be something we place in front of us about our identity. That without the cross of Jesus, we are lost and we are judged and condemned. But because of the cross of Christ, because of the judgment you've taken upon yourself, we don't have to. And we can remember that beautiful story and we can stand forgiven, God. We can stand forgiven in you and we can take this juice and this cracker and we can remember, God, that you have loved us with a dying love and that you have given us life through your death. Lord God, we receive it and we thank you for it. We find our identity completely in it. In Jesus' name, amen.